get ready to start. I want to have a moment of a silent prayer so that you can say whatever, get our hearts and our minds prepared to worship God this morning, and then, then I'll close this out in a prayer and we'll get started. Fathers, we prepare to open your holy and divine word, which lives and abides forever. Pray that you will be with us this day. And Father, help us to have eyes that will see and ears that can hear and our mind to comprehend the great and powerful things that you have placed in your your word for us to understand. May we be able to see it and apply it to our lives, but Father, to also understand that your son is mighty and that he is God and What we're going to see today, he delivers us from the power of darkness into the power of light, Father. And he is able to do it. And that's why you put this in here. We pray that you'll be with us and bless us with this thought as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to tell you a little story first about a painter. He was a small town painter, kind of like here. And he'd been painting for years and he barely gets by, but he makes it. And what he, what he does to help the bottom line, to help give him a little more profit, he began to thin his paint with turpentine, make it stretch a little bit further so that he would be able to bid on things and get them. So all of a sudden, after all these years, the bid came up for a huge church that, had, that needed painted. And so he placed his bid and... When they opened up all the bids, his was very competitive. And since he was a local guy and they knew he needed the money, they went ahead and gave him the bid. And so he went that day and he began painting. And like he did, he had thinned it out and everything. And boy, he was going and he was just almost finished that church in one day. He was really going to town. About the time that he was going to quit, dark clouds rolled in. A rain came and washed all that paint (laughs) right off that building and he got down on his hands and his knees and he said lord lord i don't know what happened but it just all fell apart and all of a sudden when he said that that i don't know what happened and this is falling apart the clouds disappeared sun shined and a voice came out of heaven and it said here's what you do repaint repaint and thin no more (laughs) i heard that wednesday and i thought i just got to share that one (laughs) but anyway mark chapter 1 verse 21 to 28 that's where we're going to be at today if you want to go ahead and open your bibles and and get there ahead of time now mark i like mark because mark is like me a little add If you like to move quickly, read Mark. Because in the first 21 verses, Mark introduces Jesus. He talks about John the Baptist. Talks about Jesus then going to him and getting baptized. Then he talks about Jesus teaching on his ministry. Then he talks about this and that. And we're all the way down now. He talks about grabbing his disciples that we saw a couple weeks ago. He's all the way down 
in verse 21 to being in Capernaum, and he's going to be at the uh, synagogue there casting out a demon out of somebody. Now, he does all of this in 21 verses. It takes Matthew and Luke four chapters to get here. He's there in 21 verses. So if you like to move and you don't focus for very long, start out in Mark because he is a man after my own heart, man. I mean, he gets after it and he goes. And he gets down in here, and there's a reason why we have this in our scriptures. He's going to prove to us. We have saw that Jesus committed his life to the Father's will and plan when he was baptized. We saw when he went into his temptation with Satan that he has the ability himself to overcome sin and the power of Satan and the power of temptation. But what does that do for you and I? If I am going to place my trust in him as the son of God, then he needs to be able to help me in that arena, doesn't he? Not only himself, but he has to be able to help me when it comes to battling temptation, to battling sin, and knowing that he is more powerful, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And that's why we have this in our scripture, to show that he is greater and that he has the power over Satan and over sin. And last time we had Jesus turning the water to wine in John chapter 2. And in verse 12 there it says after this, after, and that's in John, but it says after this that he, his disciples, and his mother and them went to Capernaum. So that's where we're at now. Jesus has just arrived in Capernaum, and he's going to get ready to go teach. And now we start out in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read from uh, verse 21 to 28, where it says that they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. And he didn't teach them as one of the scribes as they did. Just then a man that was in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, he cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently, and he came out with a shriek. And then it says that all of the people were amazed. They asked each other, what is this? Is this some new teaching? He even gives orders to the evil, impure spirits, and they obey him. And it says the news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. You know, I bet it did. I bet that was on the 6 o'clock news. I mean, here's a guy that just a short few days ago turned 120 gallons of water into wine, like that. Now, he goes to the synagogue, and he casts the demon out of this man. Wow, I bet it made the news. I bet it shook everybody up. And I want you to stop and think for a minute. Meditate on this with me for a second. Where was Jesus at teaching? It says the synagogue. And what's the synagogue? It was on the Sabbath. That's kind of like us today, isn't it, on the first day of the week. Jesus 
basically went to church, went to the gathering place of where people gather together to worship, and he went there to teach. And guess who was at church? An, an evil spirit. There was a man that had an evil spirit. So have you ever thought that the demons like to go to church? Wow, they were right there. But the thing is, they like to go to church in places that don't teach the truth. Because what they want to do is to be able to continue that influence. I mean, he was having a good time. They had developed a false sense of religion in Judea. They were keeping people away from God by thinking that they're there, but their, far, their hearts were so far from him. They, they had perfected a way to make them think that they were all right, and they actually weren't. And the demons enjoyed being in church. That is, until our Lord showed up. Whenever he showed up, they got scared. They panicked. This is the first of many times that we're going to see Jesus casting demons out of people and doing this. And there's a reason that God did that <clears throat> and put it in his word. That is so that we know that he has the power and that he has the authority over sin and over the dark side. It extends over all of the forces of evil that are in this universe. And it's necessary if he's going to rescue you and I from the bondage of sin. Now there are a number of things that stand out in this account. One of them that strikes me is the stark difference of the reactions of people. The difference of the reactions. The difference between how the demons responded and how the people responded. It says in verse 22 and in verse 27, the people were amazed. They were astonished at what they heard and what they saw. But on the other hand, the demons were terrified, weren't they? They panicked. There was a great difference. And you know what that difference is? The demons really know who Jesus is. A lot of times, folks don't realize just who and what he is. They don't realize the power that the Son of God has. The demons understand that. And that's the reason for the difference in their reactions. Verse 24, there's this one demon who speaks on behalf of all of them. This man had more than one inside of him. He uses plural pronouns there, and he says, What have we to do with you? What business do you have right now with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? There were several of them there. You are, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. They knew who he really was. As you go throughout Mark's gospel, we said he moves very quick. Well, in chapter 3, around verse 11, there's going to be demons that scream again when they're in his presence. In chapter 5, a lesson that we'll probably do in a few weeks from now, the man of the Gadarenes who was possessed with legion of demons, you remember, he comes running and prostrates himself before him and says, I know who you are. You are the Son of God. What have you come? You've came before our time. Evidently, these demons were smart on their eschatology or their study of the end times. They knew that it wasn't time yet. <clears throat> Why have you come to, to get us before the time? This demon said, have you come to destroy us? They know the truth. They know what's happening. Uh, you continue on all the way through there. 
all of the demons seem to be the only ones who know who Jesus Christ really is until halfway through the book of Mark. In the entire first half, you have the Herodians, you have the scribes, you have the Pharisees, and every time you see them, they are wondering, who is this person? One of them says, when the scribes are hearing the message, they say, oh, he does this by the power of Beelzebub. He himself is a demon, and he casts them out in the power of demons. So they didn't know who he was. They didn't know he was the son of God. You get a little bit later, you get up into chapter 6, and the listeners there say, who is this guy? And this is a very derogatory way in which they say it because they're like, isn't he the son of Mary? And isn't his brothers, James and Joseph, and he goes on and names the four brothers and his sisters, are they not here with us as well? And so what they're saying is, is, how does this guy have this kind of power? He is common folk. He is not like us, the Pharisees and the scribes of the land. He's unlearned. He's just a carpenter. We know his family. He doesn't, how does God allow him to do that? Nobody understood. They didn't believe yet that he was the son of God. But the demons all the way through, they knew who he was. They were there around the throne of God. They knew who their creator was, and they worshiped him. And there was a time in heaven when they also followed Satan in a rebellion against God. They have seen God's work at one time as they were cast out and as a lake of fire was prepared for them and said, your doom in the end will be here. They understand. They believe. I just wish we could get folks out there to understand and to believe the same thing that they know about. They are uneducated, this man is, the Herodians said, and the Pharisees. But it wasn't until chapter 8 of Mark that Peter finally said when asked point blank, not who do men say I am, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Son of God. There we get the first admission as to who he is from his disciples. We get the first admission by the demons in chapter 1. Already they say that. He said, you are the Christ. You know, in James chapter 2, in verse 19, it says that the demons believe and they tremble. They shudder. They cry out. What makes a demon shudder? And cry out in a response like we see all the way through the book of Mark. They scream because they actually know him and it terrifies them. That their doom is sealed and the power that he does have over them. They panic. They know where they're hidden. They knew all about the lake of fire way before the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 25. And what's recorded as the end of time in the final judgment in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. And 10. They know all about that. In verse 23 here it says that he cried out, the demon inside of the man. That word is anakratso. And it means with strong emotion he shouts and cries this out. He is emotionally disturbed. They are terrified and traumatized because they know. And he says, what business have you to do? In other words, their question is, is this the time? Are you taking us now and taking us there to that place? That's how terrified they are. Is it now? Has it come? 
No, it wasn't the time yet. But they are used as an example of the response of all of those who truly know who Jesus was. Just by showing up and by teaching, this man blew his cover. You see, they like to come to church, as we talked about in the beginning. They like to masquerade and pretend to be angels of light and lead us astray. But whenever the presence of Jesus came to them, when that presence came, it blew their cover because they are so terrified in knowing what the truth is and what the reality is. I want you to remember that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 14, Satan is described there as an angel of light. It says that all of his ministers are disguised as angels of light. And that's what they want to do is to keep themselves revealed and hidden while he was in the synagogue. They want to be able to influence the spreading of doctrines of demons to congregations so that people don't understand the truth. And you you might begin to think, man, Daryl's kind of lost it a little bit. He's going over the edge on this thing with spiritual warfare and doctrines of demons and people are teaching it and they're keeping you from the truth. But I beg to differ. I'm really not as emphatic about it as I should. Whenever you take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 on what it says, you will really come to the understanding. Paul tells Timothy, I left you in chapter 1 at Ephesus because there are people who are teaching some things that are not true. I need you to teach to them and to keep control that they do not continue to do things that they should not do. In chapter 2, he shows about the roles of individuals in the church and what they're supposed to do. Chapter 3, he gives the qualifications of elders and deacons. Evidently, they had some troubles with, with their roles and with authority. Chapter 4 then this is why I left you there in chapter 1. In chapter 4, he explains that those who go against these teachings of mine, that the Holy Spirit clearly says in the latter times, people are going to abandon the faith. They are going to follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. It continues in verse 2 to say that these teachings are proclaimed through hypocritical liars whose consciences are seared with hot irons. There are those who teach and fill pulpits all across this world that want to not recognize Jesus as Lord. They want to teach things that tickles people's ears in the way that they get to do what they want to do. And he says to Timothy here, follow my word because there are those that are taught and following deceiving demons. The demons are teaching through hypocritical liars whose consciences are seared like with a hot iron. And so that's pretty clear to me what happens and why we have to stay steadfast to the truth and why we have to see that Jesus has the power and authority over that side whenever his word and his presence takes hold in the, in the building. This incident's also recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37 that we're studying here today out of Mark. Luke also does it. And it's here in two gospel accounts so that we understand that Jesus has the power 
to save sinners. He has the power over the dark side and casts them out by the power of his word. And when they heard his word from him being taught in that place, it scared them to death. They blew their cover. They like to be like James Bond, Agent 007, and, and be hidden under cover. But when Jesus came and the truth was out there, they couldn't help but uh, blowing their cover. Jesus did what's described in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 13, where he was there to translate them from the power of darkness into the domain of light. In Ephesians 2, we're told, and it's a scary thought, that all unbelievers are under the control of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works through the sons of disobedience. All of us who were unbelievers were at that time, but we get transferred, and that's why we as ambassadors for Christ are to take this message to them so that they can be translated out of that area of darkness as well. It is that important. He displays his power. In Acts 26 and verse 18, it says that Jesus came to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness unto light, from the power of Satan to God. Why? So that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those that are sanctified in me, in Christ Jesus. And if I asked you, the question, why did Jesus come to this earth? You would probably have many answers. To seek and save the lost. There's a lot of answers. But I'm going to refer today, since we're studying this certain section of Scripture, that in 1 John 3 and verse 8, it says that the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That is why Jesus appeared, that he might break down and destroy the works of Satan. He is the enemy of the cross. The cross is your friend. The cross has the power to save and rescue sinners. And they know that, that the Son of God came. Boy, they have a great system of communication. In the book of Job, chapter 1, it says that God holds a meeting up in heaven. And it says Satan appears there along with all of the sons of God. And they talk about Job. He comes back down and does some things to Job. Chapter 2, he's back up at another meeting with God in the third heaven. That means that we send a rocket ship up and it takes years for it to get like where it's at now, the one that's out there going across within a matter of moments satan goes from earth to the third heaven that's how quick demons can move in this atmosphere so whenever christ came buddy all around the world the message was spread that the king is here he is here so they were all tensed up they were all on guard why is he here is our time coming so that whenever he appeared in this synagogue, they immediately freaked out. It blew their minds as to what happened. Verse 21 and 22 of our story. They went to Capernaum on the Sabbath, and he entered the synagogue, and he began to teach. 
They were amazed at his teaching as he had authority and not as the scribes. They can't stand the truth. The truth got taught. They didn't like the fact that he had arrived in their gathering place. What does John 8 say? You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. And that's what he was afraid was going to happen here. The truth just arrived, and it's going to set the captives free that was in that synagogue. And this guy falls down on his knees before him. Now, the village of Capernaum, that's Kafir Nahum. You've heard of the prophet Nahum in the Old Testament. That's Kafir just means the uh, city of or the place of. So this is the city or the place of Nahum where, where that was located. And he goes there, and, and apparently Jesus had made his headquarters here for the time being. After he turned the water to wine, it says he went in to Peter's house. And there his mother-in-law was sick with a fever, and he touched her hand and healed her. And this is in Capernaum. And he was in that house, and later on in that account in John, it says that the multitude surrounded the house, bringing to all of those who were in need and who had the evil spirits. Then he wanted to leave that place and be alone for a while because the multitude surrounded that house, Peter's house. And they came back a little while later after he had went and preached in other areas. And that's where we find this. He is back for the second time. And it was noised abroad that he is coming through here. And they, they are all around. He's in the synagogue preaching and teaching. And he tells them something very interesting. You know, they saw what happened with all of the healing and with the demons cast out. Next week, we're going to study about a paralytic man who was drawn and carried by four people in a mat to Jesus. And the throng was around the house again. They saw all of these things. And in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Woe unto you, Capernaum. Woe to you. Because if the things that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would still be standing. They would have saw these things and repented. You see them and you're not. The people are amazed. The point is they are amazed at his teaching, but they don't accept him as Christ and Lord. They they don't get it. They have a greater responsibility. You know what? So do you and I. We have the entire word of God. We have all of these miracles. John said that these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We have more revelation and more power today of belief than Sodom or Capernaum. So we have even a greater responsibility. And in in Luke's account of this, it says he went in the synagogue as was his custom. All the time, every Sabbath, he was there teaching. The uh, synagogue simply means a gathering place like what we're doing here today. It means a place that they would gather together. Through the week, the kids were taught there. After hours, civil court was held, but on the Sabbath, it was the day of worship and the day of teaching for them. And it says that in Galilee, there was probably, Josephus the historian says that there was about 240 of these synagogues in the area. So it made ready-made places for him to be able to go and to teach. And he taught as authority and not having like the scribes. Authority, man, he has rule and power over the words. The scribes, what they like to do is they would get up there and they would sit up in Moses' seat 
and usually it was the, the men of the area. It only took 10 men in an area to form a synagogue. And so usually it was the men teaching, and this teachings was handed down. But if a scribe, if one of the rabbis or somebody that was learned come through, they would open up the pulpit to them because they wanted to hear something new. This, this man surely has a greater message. And the rabbis, when they would come in or when the scribes would come in, what they normally did was quoted everybody else. They didn't really know how to interpret the word of God with authority and power. They would stand up and say, Rabbi, so-and-so has this position, but so-and-so has this. And, but I say unto you, I agree with these two parts. And that's how they would talk. That's what they were used to. But now all of a sudden, the Son of God comes who knows the scriptures. And he walks into this place and he teaches with authority. He teaches with power. And the people are amazed. And they say, who is this? Even the demons begin to scream and fall out. It says this amazement is the word ekpleso, and it means to be knocked out of your senses. It's kind of when we said in our terms today, man, that just blew my mind. That's the word to choose here. Jesus blew their minds with his teaching. Verse 23 says, just then, and that's Mark, again, getting after things. He says, just then, as Jesus is teaching the people and the people are amazed. This man runs up to him. The demon explodes and blows his cover. And what terrified him was that his system was now falling apart. The king has arrived. And he is teaching the truth in this place. He is going to take away the captivity that he is trying to hold the people in. And again, they are disguised as angels of light the people who try to teach falsely. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, They hide right in the middle of the worship place. They hide and they, they try to conceal the truth and the word of God. And it's a, it's a deadly operation because if they can keep you away from knowing the truth, then you will never be set free. And that's what Jesus came to tear down those fortresses that 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5 talks about fortresses that they have built up that has to be smashed if we are going to be set free men by nature hate the truth did you know that the dna that's within each one of us hates the light and hates the truth jesus told him in john 8 you are of your father the devil then and he told nicodemus in john chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 he said this is the verdict Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone that does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds are exposed. The light came into the synagogue and the deeds were exposed. And the man, the demon inside of him, just then says, What business do we have with each other? Jesus of Nazareth, I know who you are, the Son of God. Have you come to destroy us? Unclean spirit is just a synonym for the, a demon. In Luke's account, it uses both words, an impure spirit and a demon, for what was inside of this man. Luke's account says that the man was also hurled to the ground whenever Jesus cast it out to him. What happened in our Lord's ministry has no parallel. They have always 
been influencing and in people since the beginning after Adam and Eve, and they are still here today. But when they are confronted by the actual Son of God, they freaked out. That's why it's only at that time. You can read through the Old Testament, and you don't see him acting like this. After the first half of the book of Acts, you don't see him acting like this. But at that point, they did because they were terrified that their time has come and that the real Son of God is here. I know who you are. Jesus said, be quiet, in verse 25. The word there means to muzzle, like what you would put on a dog. It means the word he said was muzzled, be muzzled. Shut up, quit talking. And you think, why did he say that? And he said, come out of him. Because Jesus doesn't need demons to be his PR person, his public relations guy. He doesn't want them being the ones that's saying who he is. That would fuel the fire that's going around that people say you're doing that by the power of demons. So if the demons were acknowledging him, then they would continue that rumor. But he says, shut up, quit talking. I don't want you saying who I am and come on out of him. And he says, but why? What business do we have? Have you come to destroy us? There's the fear of knowing the reality of what's ahead of them. He's invaded their kingdom. Is it now the hour of our final destruction is what they're saying. Same thing that the man in Mark chapter 5 is going to say when we study him. He said, don't send us out into the pit. Don't destroy us now. There's a herd of pigs over there. Send us into the pigs, but don't take us before our time. They're terrified of the authority of Jesus and his word because it smashes down their strongholds. The authority of Jesus and judgment. They realize that they've already been judged once and cast out of heaven. And they know the truth. Third thing is the purity of Jesus. If you'll notice, it says that they all call him Jesus of Nazareth. That was one of the most common terms used of him. But did you know that even as he is tossing this guy out and all of this authority and power, that he is still giving a term of derision and putting Jesus down. You remember when, when Philip went to Nathanael and says, we have seen Jesus of Nazareth, he is the son of God, and you remember what Nathanael said back? How can any good thing come out of Nazareth? The town had a bad reputation. And every time they called him Jesus of Nazareth, they were trying to drive a little, a little wound right into him and poke him. You know, you're from Nazareth. No good thing comes from there. So even as he was casting him out, they were saying that, and they voiced their scorn at him. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And that is a stark contrast, a demon saying, you're the Son of God. What a contrast it is. And lastly, they scream at the authority of his power. Jesus rebukes him and says, come out of him. Be quiet and come out. And it says that it threw him into convulsions and the unclean spirit then screamed again with a loud voice. Like I said in Luke's account, it says that it shook him so much that it threw him to the ground, but he also adds that he was unharmed, that the man was unharmed. Why was there convulsions? Why the shrieking? Because they don't like to give up without a fight. The word of God just said come out and he's trying to hang on. Hang on to you. Isn't it hard sometimes to leave the realm of sin? 
to give up that. It's because you've got this force that is trying to keep you and draw you. And he's trying to hang on. And as he's being drug out by the word of God, it shakes this man. And then he screams out, come out of him. And at this point, it wasn't time for their final destruction as of yet. That's still to come. But they got a taste right then of the power and the authority of the word of God. And what it really means is that he has the power for you and I. That's why it's written. So that whatever it is, he has the power to remove that from our lives. To those that are friends and our family and people who do not know Jesus Christ, we've got to take that message to them and remove them from the the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus has that kind of authority. You watch the movies and they try to do exorcisms and they try to come up with holy water and potions and formulas and this and that. I don't see that anywhere in the word of God. I see that Jesus has the power to speak the word only and they come out because they obey his power. That other stuff is just like the witch at Endor. That's from the other side of the line from darkness. And for good information for us who are children of God, from what I read and what I study and what I've dealt with on the dark side, If you're a Christian and a child of God, greater is he that is in you, that is he is in the world. Christians are not possessed like this man was, indwelt by a demon. That's another good reason to become a Christian because they can indwell those who are not. But greater is he that is in you when you are in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says that we can quench the spirit, we can grieve the spirit, we can push it back, and through that we can be influenced by the dark side. But you can't be possessed and grabbed a hold of. It says he threw him into convulsions and he screamed and came out. It was a final protest. The final protest, but it was no good. Jesus demonstrated to them and to you and I that he has the power to deliver us from from the power of Satan. In Luke 4, 35, it says the man was not harmed and that it showed the, pot, the power to break the bondage of sin. They were all amazed. What is this? The amazement didn't count. And as, the, as Ron makes his way back up to, to close us out with a song, it says there in verse 28 of our text, quickly, the news spread about him into all the surrounding areas. This is just the start. When you go down to verse 39 in the next story, it says that he went into the synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out these demons. He put on a power display that was shocking, caused people to be amazed. But Jesus didn't want you to be amazed. He wants you to recognize him as Savior and Lord. And that's why we have this. So I hope that whoever this word touches, that it doesn't only just amaze you about his power, but it causes you to trust in him as the only one who has the power to deliver us, not only in this life, but into the the life to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing these things to us from your holy and divine word. May we be strengthened, may we be edified to the point that no matter what faces us, 
that greater are you that is in us and that we can rely on you and your power to deliver us from everything that there is. In Jesus' name, amen.